the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We're underway at nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday. It is the 31st and final morning of the year of our, or the uh, month of uh, uh, January. Sorry about that. In the year of our Lord, 2023. So we're going to make it a big one. We have got a very, very lively show for you coming up in a uh, half an hour. We're going to talk with the first black state house representative, Republican. The first, let me redo that, the first black Republican state house representative. He's from the Toledo area. He's Josh Williams. And he is one of the 45 who stood with their principles, stood with their integrity, stood with their morality, stood with their oath, stood with their word, and stood with Derek Maron as the should-be Speaker of the House in the uh, Republican-majority, supermajority-dominated Ohio legislature. And Josh Williams raised his hand and tried to speak twice a little over a week ago when the rules packages and the committee assignments were being made and voted upon and announced by the actual speaker, Jason Stevens. Twice, Josh Williams was ignored. Now, was it because he was black? Probably not, because 
Jason Stevens ignored all amendments and ignored all suggestions that were challenges to his supreme authority. The authority he has by having only 22 out of 67 people in the party caucus supporting him. But somehow he has authority because Democrats like him and Democrats support him. So he he pretty much treated everybody the same way. But I can promise you this. I can promise you this. If Josh Williams, the state representative that I'm talking about and that I will talk with this morning, were a Democrat and he were ignored the way Jason Stevens ignored him, we'd have a full-blown racial circus on our hands in Columbus. Josh Williams is going to join me to talk about what uh, the status, if you will, of the party is and about the ability of them to legislate with the split, three-way split, essentially, you got conservative Republicans backing Derek Maron. You got Rhino uh, Republicans who are trans Democrats supporting Jason Stevens, and then you got the de- actual Democrats <laughs> who have their own agenda, but feel like they can accomplish more of that agenda through the Stevens uh, Rhinos than through the Marin conservatives. So it's a mess in Columbus, and Josh Williams is in the center of it. He's a freshman, by the way. He's brand new at this. He's going to join me at nine thirty-five to tell us where things stand from his point of view. He also informed me today this morning early, that uh, he may have a bombshell right before he comes on the air with me, and at which point he will tell me what that is. Not 100%, but there may be a bombshell. I asked him for a hint. He wouldn't give me one. Couldn't do it. Uh, but we'll see. That'll be coming up here in about uh, 22, 23, 24 minutes, somewhere in that neighborhood uh, this morning. At 1010, you know what it is. It's Tuesday. That means it's a Kersenow day. So you get Peter Kersenow, his thoughts on Memphis Policing in America, the new race war that is being started by politicians who think that five black cops beating a, a black motorist means that white supremacy rules. <laughs> that's the, the, what they're, that's what they're saying. We spent a great deal of time yesterday talking about it, as you know. Kersenow talked about that on Tucker Carlson. He will talk about it here on Always Right Radio at 1010 this morning. And then at 1110, we're going to talk to Shannon Burns about another uh, step in this mess, I guess, uh, that involves the Ohio uh, State House, the House of Representatives, and the coup uh, from the Gang of 22 that stole the speakership from Derek Maron. Last night in Strongsville, they had a meeting of the Strongsville GOP, and about 125 members got together, and they heard a proposal for a censure of State Representative Tom Patton, who, of course, represents that area. And Tom Patton was invited to defend himself and his vote for Jason Stevens in that same mess I was just describing and his fealty apparently to Democrats rather than the strong conservatives who voted for him and who put him in the state house. Tom Patton refused to show up and defend himself. So in his absence, they passed a resolution of censure of State Representative Tom Patton, who voted for Jason Stevens and abandoned the will of the caucus and of the voters who put that caucus in place. So we're going to talk to Shannon about what that censure means and why he thinks Tom Patton would not speak in his own defense. So that's what we have for you this morning. It's loaded up pretty good. Josh Williams coming up in about uh, 20 minutes or so. We're going to have Peter Kirsten out at 10 o'clock. We're going to have Shannon Burns on the whole mess from the Strongsville perspective coming up at 11 o'clock. And, of course, most importantly, your phone calls. You are always the most important guest to me. 
might not seem that way sometimes because we do have important newsmakers to talk to, but I do. I value your input, and I want you to call 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers is just fine, but let's get this thing rocking and rolling. Before we start on the monologue and the news of the day, I'm going to ask you now to rise as the patriot that you are. Face your flag if you have one. If you still haven't figured out a way to get one or an image of one, keep working on that. Uh, but go ahead and close your eyes then and just imagine old glory and put your hand on your heart and join us for this pledge. If you are a believer in Biden's pledge, quote, my word as a Biden that America will be great. America's future is great. If you believe any of that nonsense in the midst of an absolute energy and economic calamity, well, then I fear you don't really understand what that flag represents either. I'll explain more coming up, but for now, you are exempted from the request to pledge your allegiance to a flag you don't support. You may take a knee instead next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, let's stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Yeah, it's uh, it's a really interesting development as we look at the national political scene for a moment here as we start things off. Um, Joe Biden made people laugh all over the Internet two days ago, and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, and I talked about it last night when we recorded our latest podcast, Jack Windsor and I talking smack with Bob and Jack. It's loaded now. It's up. Wherever you get your podcast, if you're uh, on the treadmill today and you want to listen to something for an hour, uh, the Talking Smack podcast is up, and you can find it at uh, where? Uh, Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, all of the traditional podcast platforms carry, carries it. Uh, some of them video, some of them just the audio side. But take a look. Jack and I discussed this. Um, the future of America. Is it great? Is it uh, optimistic? Is it something we can all be very, very excited about? Because Joe Biden said, you have my word as a Biden that America is America's future is bright and secure. Now, he said this, of course, in advance of what? His State of the Union address. Well, lo and behold, a new survey puts his word as a Biden to the test. And by the way, his word as a Biden is comical because he is a pathological, habitual liar, has been for his entire adult life. I suspect pre-adult life, too, adolescent and child life, because it's pretty hard to you know, change that, but we don't have records of those. What we do have is a record of every lie he has told in his entire adult life, going into the Senate, lying about his law school credentials, lying about just about everything he's ever done. Uh, he's as bad, if not worse, than George Santos, except now he's president. So uh, Mr. My Word is a Biden said America's great. Americans look at that and say, Really? The most recent poll on this question was done by Marist, and it indicates, this is dated yesterday, that two out of three Americans believe that the union is not strong, not very strong or not strong at all. They are not optimistic about the uh, the future of this country. They see the United States as a weak place. We're weak in the eyes of the rest of the world. We're weak economically. We're weak because of the cost of our energy. 
We're weak because we can't feed ourselves anymore. There's baby food shortages. There's baby medicine short, uh, shortages. There are egg shortages, chicken shortages. I mean, we're reliant upon other countries for some of the basics that we used to dump from airplanes on, on third world nations. We're weak militarily. Our military is a walking, talking, national rainbow-colored joke that is more concerned with inclusion and equity than it is strength and military preparedness. We're weak. So says Americans. So say Americans. 62%, nearly two-thirds, say the United States is not very strong or not strong at all. Just 36% say it was strong or very strong. Independence... Now, let me say this again. Independence held the most negative view of the state of the Biden of Biden's America, not Republicans. Independence. This has to scare the bejeebers out of the Democrats and Biden uh, uh, in, individually. Independence, 72% of them expressed that concern about the strength of the country. 69% of Republicans, just 48%, but not just. I shouldn't even say that. That's still almost half of Democrats say the United States is weak under Joe Biden's leadership. I want you to ponder that. Americans point to partisan extremism as uh, among their concerns for the uh, United States and its strength. Um, respondents indicated they see little hope for productivity, in the current congressional session, 44% expressing the view that the legislature would accomplish less than Congress had preceded, the, the Congress that had preceded it. 38% say its output would stay at previous levels. I agree with the former, but I don't blame the Republican-controlled Congress for that, Re- Republican-controlled House. I just know that we have gridlock now because we have a Republican slight majority in the House and we have a Democrat slight majority in the Senate. Congressionally, or excuse me, legislatively, they'll get nothing done. It'll be gridlock stalemate, and anything that does creep its way through, Biden will probably reject. So I I completely concur on that part. But it has a lot more to do and more to say about the executive leadership, since we have gridlock at the legislative level, than it does anything else to say that the United States is weak. Biden is supposed to deliver a State of the Union address on February 7th. uh, And when he does so, he will do so with near record low approval ratings. He's underwater by 13 po- no, excuse me, 11 points, according to the Real Clear Politics polling average. Underwater by 11 points. So this is where we are with Joe Biden's presidency. Which begs the question, what would Joe Biden have to do to be able to run for another term as president? And what kind of opponent would he face? Obviously, the only declared Republican candidate thus far is Donald Trump. That's it. No one else has declared, and yet Donald Trump has declared war on maybe the most popular Republican in America. Donald Trump is already in late-night social media storms. He's got his little thumbs going 90 miles an hour, and he's attacking Ron DeSantis, who is not even a candidate for president. Yet, going to talk about that on the other side. This matters. If you're a Republican, this is already a horrific sign about what is to come in Republican primaries. We'll talk about that in a minute. Nine twenty-two. This is Always Right Radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer.
Okay, 926. Appreciate you being with us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. So, President Trump, former President Trump, the only declared Republican candidate for 2024, uh, is not acting like he's the only candidate. He is already in full attack mode on other Republicans. Um, and the reasons are just breathtaking. It's, uh, it's how dare you run? How dare you consider running, you disloyal uh, individual. That's that's the essence of what President Trump tweeted last night, or not tweeted, beg pardon, truth socialed last night uh, at Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, who is his considered to be, if he decides to run, he would be Trump's closest competitor. How close? It's, I guess it's a matter of time and it's a matter of polls. Who knows? But President Trump hates the idea that Ron DeSantis would dare run against him because, well, he supported Ron DeSantis for governor. And by supporting Ron DeSantis for governor, Ron DeSantis owes him to not challenge him for the nomination for president. That's the way it is in President Trump's mind. And this is one of the reasons why a lot of people who are totally America first and who are full on MAGA do not support this style of, of, of Trump. It just doesn't sound right. It doesn't play right. And it is not right. President Trump claims credit for Ron DeSantis winning the governor's race in Florida. And and he did play a big role, no doubt, when he got an endorsement from Donald Trump. Certainly that helped, no question. But apparently that means you're not allowed to run against him for an office that he wants. Quote, Ron would have not been governor if it wasn't for me. So when I hear he might run, I consider that very disloyal. If he runs, that's fine. I'm way up in the polls, he said in an interview with the Associated Press. He's going to have to do what he wants to do. He may run. I do think it would be a great act of disloyalty because, you know, I got him in. He had no chance. His political life was over. End quote. This is the, you know, there's good Trump and there's bad Trump. This is bad Trump. This is bad Trump. This is uh, very, very unlikable Trump. Ron DeSantis has been nothing but a loyal soldier, not to Donald Trump, but to the conservative movement and the constitution of the united states he has been an absolute champion against all of the wokeness he turned florida into a an economic power turned florida into a a a beacon for others to follow quite frankly when it comes to not following the national trends as it pertains to things like covid and lockdowns and others he was among the very first governors to un uh, to open things back up after the original lockdown was done by almost everybody uh, as opposed to for example people like mike dewine um and ron desantis has been nothing but a strong supportive conservative in every single measure. And President Trump, knowing that that could be a challenge to him, has decided to call him disloyal. Here's what I compare it to. If I'm a head football coach in the National Football League, and I choose and hire uh, Johnny Hiles to be the offensive coordinator of my team, and we go to the Super Bowl together, and Johnny Hiles has become a great, great offensive coordinator and is considered to be head coaching material, and then somebody offers him an, uh, an opportunity in the same division to be the head coach of their team, in which case he would have to go head-to-head with me. How would it sound if I said to him, don't take that job, you can't take that job and compete with me. I got you here, I gave you this chance. It's disloyal for you to take that job and oppose me. How dare you try to defeat me after I was the one who put you in your place. I gave you that position. Would that be fair in your mind? 
No, it wouldn't be, and it's not. And President Trump is doing that to Ron DeSantis, who's not even a candidate, by the way, for the presidency. So we're going to talk more about that, and I welcome your thoughts on it, too. It doesn't matter who you support. It's do you support the messaging and do you support the style at this particular juncture, where he's the only candidate, and he's, cam- he's campaigning like it's October of 2024, and we're a month away from, a, uh, from an election. All right, it's 930. We're going to get news. We're going to come back. We're going to talk Ohio politics and the mess in the Ohio State House. Freshman State Representative Josh Williams is going to join me on AM 1420, The Answer. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on the answer. 937, always right radio. Thanks so much for being with us on this Tuesday morning. Don't forget we got cursing out coming your way at 1010 this morning. But right now, I want to welcome a special guest to our program. He is a freshman member of the uh, House of Representatives class in, of the 135th um, uh, Ohio uh, uh, General Assembly. He is from the Toledo area, and he was completely ignored by the new Speaker of the House, who happens to share his party. When the rules were established a little over a week ago, and when the uh, and when the uh, uh, committee assignments were made, and I'm speaking of Josh Williams joining us now on AM 1420. The answer, Representative Williams. Good to have you, sir. How are you? How are you doing today? Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. I'm doing great. Very, very uh, good to talk to you. Obviously, I've spoken to you a little bit off the air, and I want to I want to dive right in because I know your time is short. You've got a session, and you've got some important work to do here in less than a half an hour. So let's dive into what happened last week, if we can, when you tried to, uh, uh, to uh, be heard uh, and recognized by Speaker Jason Stevens so that you could offer amendments to some of the rules that were being put forth by uh, the Speaker and his cabal of 22 and his uh, Democrat supporters. Uh, what happened, uh, Representative Williams, when you tried to speak on that floor? Well, my voice was silenced. So first, when I first rose to be recognized, it wasn't in regards to the rules. It was regards to a resolution uh, establishing our leadership slate for the House. Mm-hmm. And I was attempting to offer an olive branch to Jason Stevens and the 22 uh, by amending the uh, resolution to remove the name of John Cross and replace it with Representative Phil Plummer. Uh, I, I believe that was an olive branch towards them uh, to show that they, we could make some effort towards unity in the future. Uh, I informed the speaker an hour before in caucus uh, when he announced his intention to, to have that resolution passed, I asked to be recognized, and he recognized me, and I informed him that I plan to stand for the purpose of introducing that particular amendment, substituting Cross for Plummer. He was aware. He said, okay, and then we went on to the floor. And when I stood to be recognized, he ignored me and proceeded to rush through the vote for his leadership team uh, without hearing any objections, any protest in violation of the Ohio Constitution. So that was that was the first one. Uh, and then after that vote was ran through, then we had a vote for the rules. And I stood up again and asked to be recognized, and I was ignored again. We raised points of order, which are procedural things in the House, mm-hmm. to bring the Speaker's attention that he was violating the rules. Uh, they asked me to cite what rule, statute, or constitutional provision he was violating, and I, I quoted them uh, to the Speaker that he was violating Article 2, Section 6, and Article 2, Section 10. 
And he ignored that and uh, proceeded to open the floor for the vote on the rules package. And I was standing in that instance specifically for one amendment, although the news may want to cover it as though we were trying to introduce other amendments um, that were introduced by other members. I introduced one amendment, and it, it ha- it's important that people recognize I cannot stand up on the floor and propose an amendment to a resolution that I personally did not file with the clerk's office. So I could not stand up and introduce an amendment filed by Phil Plummer or Ron Ferguson or, or uh, Brian Stevens or Derek. Mer- I couldn't do that. I stood up to, to move to amend the resolution in regards to my amendment, which is clear. It, it, it specifically would have changed words in three different rules to make it clear that the business of the House is conducted with a quorum present, meaning the majority of members present. Why? Because the Constitution says we must do that. In Article 2, Section 6, it says that the majority of members equal a quorum to do business, Mm -hmm. meaning you cannot conduct the business of the House without at least 50 members in attendance. And on a daily basis, um, since time immemorial, they've been introducing bills, uh, resolutions, reports from committees, confirming and approving journal entries, without a quorum present, removing seven different rules that give me power in the, uh, when those things are done. Um, so it was purely a constitutional amendment to try to bring the House in compliance with the Ohio Constitution. And the Speaker not only ignored my voice, uh, but ignored the people of Ohio who have voted in and ratified this Constitution time and time again uh, in the clauses that are contained therein. We're talking with Representative Josh Williams, a Republican freshman from the Toledo area who is, uh, uh, is fighting like so many others to try to have a, uh, a congressional or excuse me, a legislative, uh, session in which everyone can be heard rather than, uh, the dictatorial, uh, decisions being made by new speaker Jason Stevens. Josh, I, Representative, I watched that, um, uh, uh, session uh, on the Ohio Channel last week, and your supporters, uh, I assume members of the 45, were very, very vocal when you tried to be heard, and as you say, your voice was silenced. They pointed out that you, <clears throat> excuse me, you stood v- far, far in advance of the call for the vote, and he completely ignored you. What, is, what do you think that means? Do you take that personally, or do you think this is just going to be Jason Stevens style with anybody who may disagree with him? Well, I'm, I'm the type of person, I don't take a lot of things personally. I have a thick skin. If I didn't have a thick skin, I wouldn't have ran as the first black Republican in 50 years in the Ohio House. So I got a, I got a pretty thick skin. Um, but what I do take personal is violating the Constitution. Um, I'm a constitutional law professor. Uh, I, I'm a constitutional advocate. I'm a constitutionalist and a originalist. And uh, I swore an oath to the Constitution, both as a practicing attorney and as a state legislator. And I will not stand by and watch the Constitution be violated in my presence. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, and that is obviously something that, um, you know, one one of the things that, that people who supported Representative Marin and the 45 who actually stood by your oath and your pledge to support whoever won the caucus vote back on November 16th, that's what we like about you and others like you, uh, that you, you know, you take the Constitution and you take your oath seriously. So let's move forward now, and let me ask you, because of the experience on day one and the passage of the rules and the assignments of the committees, 21 out of the 22. Uh, got uh, committee chairs or or plum positions, and the only one who didn't is a freshman who got a vice 
chair of a very powerful committee. Um, so you see how he is going to run this. So my question to you is, can you work with these people going forward, or do you think they will allow you or, or allow their 22 to work with, with the 45? Well, I, I can work with anyone moving forward, no matter their political affiliation um, or policy positions. We, we should be able to work going forward. But what many Ohioans need to realize is there was another reason I was objecting to those rules, and that was a new rule that was created. It's Rule 64. It was a new rule that was created that allows the speaker unsurmountable power to hold on to a bill and hold it hostage merely if he chooses to. Before this uh, General Assembly, we had a myriad of rules that would have allowed us to pull a bill out of a committee where it's being held hostage. And they initiated a rule in Rule 64 where the speaker and all five of the leaders of the House are the only members, and it gives them the authority to take a bill out of any committee at any time for any reason and hold on to it. So essentially they can kill any bill introduced by the 99 members. And it, that 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 is that is beyond troubling. That is beyond concerning because that takes our democratic uh, republic form of government and tosses it into the ash can, doesn't it? This this creates a dictatorial power for the speaker and for obviously you know his his chosen uh, uh, supporters in the Democrat Party and the significant super minority of the party. It, it does, and it's unprecedented. Um, the excuses that I heard was, one, the speaker would never do that. Well, I'm sorry, I don't put power into the hands of a tyrant and then expect them not to use that power. Um, second, they said it was protect sponsors of bills, that people had sponsored bills and their bills will be held up in a committee. I brought up the fact that there's such things as discharge petitions that can be signed by 50 members getting it out of the committee. And then I even said, as a lawyer, that's the easiest solution you've ever placed in front of me which is real simple. Rule 64 either could have started or ended with a simple flaw. Either it could have started upon petition by the sponsor, mm-hmm. then the rules and references can take it, or that rule could have ended with the rules and references can take this bill anytime with consent of the sponsors. I said, so if your true intention was to protect the sponsors, would you want the, the participation of the sponsors? And they said, oh, Josh, well, we never considered that. no. You didn't because you sat in a room with 22 and you designed a rule package without any information from us. And when we offered rule amendments, you selected one or two so you could say that you included part of our our, uh, rule package, but you never sat down and had a substantive conversation. Because since the day that we voted in Derek Marin as a speaker-elect, we have not had one full caucus meeting until the day that the rules and the leadership team were voted in on the 23rd. There was a gap from November all the way until January when the 67 Republican supermajority that was voted in by the people of Ohio to the House never met to discuss anything, anything, including leadership positions or rule packages or priorities. And now we have these rules that were rushed in, voted in, and pushed through against objections and protests. And the Constitution clearly says in Article 2, Section 10, that any member can rise and protest any act or resolution of the House. And their reasons for protesting shall be placed without alteration or delay on the journal. Meaning, when I rise to speak, unless I am out of order, you should recognize me and allow me to place my protest on the record. 
Well, I'll tell you what, I, I um, salute you for not taking any of that personally. I would take some of that personally. And I'm glad you do take personally, as you say, anybody who does not respect or or uh, somehow damages the Constitution or doesn't follow the Constitution. But I think I think there's reason to take some things personally, quite frankly. Josh Williams, let me ask you this. You're a successful attorney and a college professor. What are you doing here? Why did you want to run for this office? Why do you want to be in this mess in Columbus right now? Uh, it's a, it's a long answer, but it's, it's a simple one. Um, I mean, my life history is I went from a homeless high school dropout to being disabled on the job and laying in bed for six years, being told by multiple doctors, I would barely walk again. And through God's grace and mercy, I was introduced to some great doctors and lawyers that helped me dig myself out of that bed. I laid in for six years, dig myself out of poverty, become a successful attorney and a college professor. And when I reached that peak of my career, I felt empty. I had a beautiful wife that I just married, a beautiful son that I was raising, and I felt empty. Why? Because I felt it was selfish to use God's grace and mercy solely for personal gain, which was personal financial gain, being becoming successful and, and digging myself out of poverty, buying a new house. I, I felt empty, and that was because there's an obligation that Christ placed on us that when we have the ability to, to, inter, to interject, when we see wrong is being done, we have an obligation to to step up or to sin. I have the mindset, the ability, the understanding of what needs to be fixed here in the state of Ohio and within my own house here within the state legislature. And for me not to run would have been a sin. And uh, I'm a strong Christian. And I believe when I have that ability to interject, I must do so. So I, I put my career on hold and I ran for state rep and I, I still teach. I still practice full time. I still got a beautiful wife and I'm still super busy. Yeah, it sounds like you're going to be that way for a long time. Um, let me ask you about, you know, the, the, you, you pointed out, you're the first black Republican to be in the state house in 50 years. Um, you know how black Republicans get treated. You get treated like race traitors. You're how dare you? Are you not a Democrat? Remember, Joe Biden said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Um, yeah. you're black and you're Republican. Do you face still a lot of that stuff now? And I do. Go I ahead. do. Yeah, I've got to follow I, up to that, but go ahead and answer that one. Yeah. I face a lot of that from a lot of areas. I never expected to, to experience it in my same caucus. I've had nothing but welcome, welcoming invites, uh, great conversations, built some great relationships. And when I stood up and asked to be recognized within my constitutional rights to do so as a legislator and a, as a Republican, as a member of the legislature, and as a black conservative standing up for a generation of black conservatives that didn't have a voice in this caucus for a half a century, uh, that part I kind of did take personal that the speaker didn't recognize me. And once again, it made me feel like my voice is being silent, like it is by the Democrat Party. So that part I did take a little personal. Do you feel, Josh Williams, freshman state representative from District 41 out Toledo Way, um, that we'll ever get to a time where you don't have to announce that you're the first black anything and that we don't have to uh, mention that Kareem Jean-Pierre is the first black gay press secretary, that that maybe maybe colorblindness is what will really unite all of us when we're just people. You're a representative from Toledo, not a black representative from Toledo. Do we Will we ever get there? Yeah, I thought about it hard in my campaign, but I thought it was important to note that why? Because for me, it was showing momentum. Uh, for a long time here in our country, uh, since the 1970s, when the, the final shift happened and, and finishing in the 80s, where the majority of uh, black Americans voted Democrat, uh, we've seen where the Democrat Party feels as though they own our vote. 
similar to the way they felt in, in the South back in the day when they thought they owned our bodies. They believe they own it. And when you step out of the norm and you are a conservative and you are a Republican or a libertarian or independent, they feel like somehow you left the plantation and therefore they have the right to disrespect you or call you home or call you name. And hopefully we get to a point in America where you become an issue voter, where you look at the particular issues and how you decide, how you were raised, what morals you have, what policy positions you have, and you vote according to those ideals. Until we get to that point, it's going to be it's going to be delineated according to race, gender, and every other category that people can drop, including um, probably pronouns. I don't even want to go there. Um, Josh Williams, last question for you. I know you said you spoke to Jason Stevens prior to the session last week. He was well aware that you were going to uh, uh, make an amendment, particularly on the plumber for cross trade, if you will, uh, as an olive branch. Have you spoken to him since? he uh, essentially ignored you and uh, disgraced himself and you in that process. I've spoken to his chief of staff. I've spoken to several members of the leadership team and uh, have yet to hear back from the speaker, even though I requested a meeting prior to today's date. If you get Um, one, what will you say to him? um, There's a a long conversation to be had. Um, No matter what group you think I'm part of, what fraction of, the Republican Party you think I'm part of within this legislature, my voice needs to be heard. And if it isn't heard and the rules and procedures are not followed, uh, myself and my legal team are prepared to file a mandamus action in the Ohio Supreme Court. That is the message I will give to the Speaker. There are, uh, last thing for you, because I know you got to run, there are a lot of people working very, very hard to punish the 22. Uh, not not for punitive reasons, not for, you know, uh, revenge, if you will, but because what they've done is very damaging to the to the caucus. It's damaging to the House. It's damaging for the, the constituents that you guys all represent. Uh, you retweeted this an hour ago, a story, or actually tweeted it, uh, uh, from Cleveland.com about Mike Gibbons, who is a former Senate candidate, now spending his money to punish these Republicans. Republicans. That's the wording used in the uh, in the piece. But he's spending to make sure that these individuals, the 22, cannot be successful because of what this does. Can you tell me, uh, had you, have you had any contact with Mr. Gibbons, or uh, is this just something you tweeted because you saw it and support it? No, I spoke to Mike Gibbons last night before the announcement and knew that uh, that announcement was coming. Uh, I've made several calls across the state and across our nation in regards to potential litigation that needs to be filed here in the state of Ohio. Uh, and I've been informed of what's been going on behind the scenes. Uh, I spoke to individuals before my campaign even was underway, uh, inquiring why we do not run candidates against incumbents. Um, that is a check on our caucus. Uh, as a Republican, we do not have a state platform that we must prescribe to. The Democrat Party does. They have a state platform. You have to sign a petition that says you will abide by the platform when you announce your candidacy. We don't. So we can have a long uh, myriad of different political views within our party. And it's very, it was very simple in my mind that the caucus, the Republican caucus, the Ohio Republican Party, needs to have the ability to run candidates against incumbents, those incumbents that, that stray outside of our Republican principles. And that's just an example of a PAC being organized to do that. It happens to be against the 22, but if, if, if there's an organization that's Republican, if the Republican Party in Ohio believes that Representative Josh Williams is not abiding by our Republican principles in, in my time in the legislature, I welcome them to bring a candidate against me. 
because that's what our caucus should be doing. Absolutely. Josh Williams is a freshman in this Ohio State House, but there is no doubt uh, with the courage you've shown just to date uh, in bringing your amendments uh, forward last week, speaking out now, and the uh, constitutional principles to which you obviously subscribe, I think you've got a very, very bright future as a leader in this State House, uh, if that's uh, the direction you wish to go. Josh Williams, thank you for coming on with us. Let's stay in touch and follow up on this uh, whenever we have news to, to cover. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you for having me. That's Josh Williams for Ohio. Follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Williams for Ohio, the number four. Williams, the number four, Ohio. Follow him there and uh, and look at what this guy's doing. I think he's going to be a superstar if they allow him to be in the Ohio Republican Party. We'll be right back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward into hour number two we go. It's nine minutes past 10 o'clock on this Tuesday, the 31st and final morning of the month of January in the year of our Lord, 2023. Thanks again to uh, Representative Josh Williams. Very, very impressed by that man. He is uh, uh, going to be a leader in the Republican Party in that caucus for a long time to come in the State House, as long as he wishes to be there. It's a really, really tough place to be right now. But appreciate him, and of course, we always appreciate Tuesday's regular guest, the philosopher himself. He is the brilliant Peter Kersenow. Personnel is a civil rights commissioner. He is a best-selling author. He is a columnist. He is, uh, what else? He's an attorney. He's the host of the Curse and I Report on AM 1420, The Answer, and he's our special Tuesday commentator. Pete, good morning, my friend. How are you? But I'm not a NFL ball player. Uh, that is still one thing I have not done, and I am still exhorting the Browns curse now for one play. One play, it, it boosts ratings tremendously. Everyone will want to turn, turn in to see if the old man gets killed. Great ratings boost. So just for that reason, I'll sign any kind of a waiver they want me to. I've prepared one already, an exemption under the NFL collective bargaining agreement, so I don't have to join the union. I, you know, I've got it all covered. Just one play. Except for one small problem. Season's over. <laughs> I'll be around next season. Hopefully. We'll revive this in August. <laughs> that is probably the best way to go. Okay, well, still have the Super Bowl. Still have the Super Bowl, and maybe they can, you know, get their their buddies over. Did you at, just use? Um, the, hold the, on. The, did you just use the word Browns and Super Bowl in anywhere near? No, the same I was sentence? going to exhort the Brown, have the Browns exhort somebody like the Eagles or someone who's actually going to be in the Super Bowl to maybe have me in there for one play if the game is out of reach. You know, just put me in there, just a spectacle. <laughs> Very good. All right, Pete. Um, it was a spectacle in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, earlier this month, and uh, now we have all seen what happened in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, the video uh, speaks for itself. Uh, it is indefensible. I don't. Th- I have not heard anyone defending. I don't know. I think I've heard a defense attorney yet for the uh, any of the five fired and charged cops, uh, the black cops in Memphis who beat a black motorist ultimately to death. Uh, I haven't heard anybody trying to defend it, but what we are trying to process is how and why this has become a race issue, given the fact that you have five black cops and a black uh, uh, suspect who was who was beaten. 
what we are hearing from everybody on the left who can find a way to make the connection is, yeah, but those five black cops were still operating in a world of white supremacy because their blue uniforms kind of uh, take over their black skin. They are taught to hate black people. They're taught to not trust brown people and to treat them differently. So somehow, some way, even the president of the United States, Joe Biden, declared that this is just another example of the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, fear that black and brown people live with in the United States of America because of their disparate treatment. Pete, I've been talking about it for days and days. I haven't heard you talk about it yet, other than on Tucker Carlson. So uh, give us your, your analysis. Uh, not a surprise that this is going to happen. As I indicated on Tucker, this is predictable because this is all the left has. Everything is about race, race 24-7. And even if the demographics confound their ability to make it about race, they still persist. It starts in kindergarten. It goes through K-12, through you know, especially in college. And even beyond that, everything is about race with them because, let's face it, okay, we can be absolutely honest, and everybody in your audience knows this. If you listen for more than 15 seconds to progressive policies, you say, this is insane. So they try to obfuscate the insanity of their policies and try to exhort you to sign on to their policies because there's the boogeyman of racism out there. But what's really distressing about this is, you know, um, you say it's all about race and, and it, the, the beating appeared to be completely indefensible. Um, but you know what? I, we'll see. There's going to be a trial. But, you know, based on all the evidence we've seen, this is different than some of the others that we've, we've seen in the past. Yeah. Uh, I can't fathom what the heck was going on here because even after they stopped him um you know physically stopped him from running they just kept beating and beating and beating and beating and he was given no resistance whatsoever this is extraordinary so i don't know how you can really defend it but you know i'm one of those folks who says let's wait to get the whole picture uh although you know <laughs> one thing that i've heard from police officers in the past not relative to this particular situation but i have heard cops say you don't want to make me chase you you make me chase right. you, you're going to regret it when I catch you. You make me run and chase you down and resist me in that way when I catch up to you, you're going to, you're going to wish you hadn't done that. Now, I'm not suggesting that's legal, lawful, or, 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 or moral or anything else, but that's the mentality that some of them have. It's like, you son of a blah, 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 you made me chase you, and then they're going to give them a little what for. Now, it's usually not as severe as this one, which, of course, beat him to death, but I wonder if, you know, and, and the fact that they were on the quote-unquote scorpion unit, which has now been disbanded, which is described as 40 officers in four teams of 10 who are assigned to the worst of the worst neighborhoods and high crime and high drug and high gang areas to crack down on, on those particular things in those areas, you got a bunch of alpha dogs uh, who are aggressive by nature because of the assignment that they've been given and have been given and and in fact, Peter, unqualified, unqualified alpha dogs who were hired in after the standards were lowered because they specifically wanted to get more diverse officers hired onto the Memphis Police right. Department uh, uh, numbers. Um, you know, so they, you know, they didn't have to have the same education. They didn't have to have the same experience, same background. But yet, yet then, because they were, you know, big, strong, aggressive guys, they were put onto the Scorpion unit and uh, had no restraint whatsoever. Go ahead. Yeah, many of us, principally among us, Heather McDonald was warned about just something like this happening because standards have been lowered across the country. 
Uh, regarding t- police qualifications, um, not to say that's the only reason for why this happened, and, and, and who knows all the circumstances that would have otherwise led to this anyway, but nonetheless, we have a situation here that was horrific. There is really no means that we can see objectively of defending this, and um, but nonetheless, the left wants to use this as a cudgel to try to continue to forward the America's racist, necess- America's racist uh, meme, and therefore we must upend the entire system. That is their aim. Their aim is to make the current system so unpalatable to most Americans that they would have no objection to changing the system to one to the wokester's liking. That is a more socialist system, a more socialist system. Um, one that is uh, completely unrecognizable. And, uh, but to go to the most immediate, more immediate problem, um, it is inane and insane for the rest of us to accept their, their uh, narrative that somehow black cops are so enfeebled, they are so uh, subject to you know, white supremacy that they absorb all this. Uh, you know, how... Really, it really, how enfeebled are black people that everything about blacks is controlled by whites? I mean, that's astonishing. To, to say that is one of the most insulting things imaginable, but that's what you hear on MSNBC and ABC, CBS. They, they say it with impunity. They say it in colleges. They say it K through 12. What they are actually saying is one of the most racist things incred- uh, that, that you can possibly imagine, that blacks have no agency. Blacks can't think for themselves. They're so controlled. Well, well, more more by, than that, Pete, you know, blacks, blacks can't participate in authority without trading in their blackness. I mean, they, they, I mean, they're basically saying when you put on that blue uniform, you're surrounding your blackness. You're a race traitor because black people have to be opposed to authority and opposed to police. They have to fear police. I mean, Joe Biden said you have to vote for him or else you ain't black. So to, to suggest that black people can't become cops and still be black, that they become white and they become, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, products of, of uh, white supremacy, despite their black skin, you're right. It's one of the most insulting things you can do. But blacks in America uh, subject themselves to this by the millions every single day. By the Democratic Party, by the educational establishment, almost every institution controlled by progressives, this type of philosophy is repeated over and over and over again. But, you know, at some point you have to exercise your own individual agency and say, this is ridiculous. This is nuts. And you can't just accept this kind of lunacy. Um, but beyond that, um, you know, we have poisoned law enforcement, race relations so much in this country. And, you know, I, I guess in the current era, there are certain inflection points. One of them is, you know, Michael Brown, then there's Freddie Gray. There are a number of different inflection points where we saw this. And then I think the one that has had the most impact recently is, of course, George Floyd. Um, in almost every instance, immediately, immediately lies were told about it. Not just did they get it wrong, but with evidence right in front of you, they began telling lies about it, and it was for political imperative. It was to make sure that progressives stayed on the progressive lane, especially blacks and other minorities, and try to say that, you know, if you wanted to have any kind of home in the United States of America with the Democratic Party or in the progressive movement. And that's what the, they don't have any problems with tearing down and burning down America as long as they maintain power. The only way they can maintain power, because their ideas are so stupid, is to have something so inflammatory that it would cause otherwise 
drives sane and rational people to gravitate toward their their philosophy. That's what they're doing. And you know, simply because Biden Biden's an idiot, we know that. I hate to say that about any pre, any person, let alone any president. But he has been doing so much damage because of his idiocy. He's like a guy, you know, careening about in a car while he's drunk. The guy has no clue and has been doing it for 40 years now. Uh, but for the president of the United States to weigh in in the fashion that he has more than one occasion now, uh, this guy has done so many divisive and harmful things, but almost every progressive leader has weighed in. They feel compelled to weigh in on these things and make matters worse. Uh, well, in, Biden's case, point, in Biden's case, I would like to think in his defense that he's just being duped, that he's, that he's too stupid to know better and people are able to you know, tell him what to say and puppet string him. But I don't think that's the case. I don't think he's being duped all the time. I think he really believes these things. His history uh, of, of these types of statements, in my view, uh, are, are, you know, are, are kind of evidence that he, is, uh, he, he knows what he's saying and he knows the damage that it can cause. And you, you, you almost left out the media, as you like to say, uh, you repeat yourself when you talk about the Democrats. Uh, I want to give you this because I know how much of a fan of Joy Reid you are. Uh, I want you to respond. To this now, if you have a heart, what happened to the 29 year old father, skateboarder, FedEx driver and amateur photographer should outrage you. It should shock and disgust you, as should the so-called brothers who chose to behave like a little blue gang rather than as black men. But it damn sure shouldn't surprise you. What happened to Tyree Nichols was as American as apple pie. Pete? That's, that, you know, what can I say? That person hates America with a passion, and she exhibits it every single day. It would be nice if we had responsible people in positions where they reach out to millions of people. I, you know, she has a small audience compared to, say, Fox News. Uh, but nonetheless, she has, <clears throat> excuse me, she has an impact, a cultural impact. And, and, you know, as I said on Tucker, this is a time when responsible people take a breath, pause for a second, try to absorb all the facts before they make any kind of comments, try assiduously to avoid inflaming the situation and contribute to moving forward, to having some kind of healing, you know, finding out what the facts are, bringing the individuals involved to justice. And it appears as if, you know, that's going to happen. Almost immediately, these guys get fired. They get charged with murder, I think a second-degree murder, and the process is going to move forward. And we'll see how it plays out. But it doesn't help the situation, it doesn't help society, and it, it, seeds, it, it plants the seeds of further unrest and outrage in the future when things like, these, like this happen. Telling lies when it comes to public policy is never, ever a good thing. But over the last number of years, it seems like almost everything we hear about is not just false, not just a mistake, not just a little error here or there, but they are lies. With knowledge of forethought, with, with they know what's going on, they, they purposely move the country into a divisive and inflammatory direction. And the rest of us out here should finally say enough is enough. You know, either turn off the TV, because most of us don't have a platform to say things, most of us can't really do anything about it, but just ignore them, recognize what we're hearing, don't subject your eardrums to those kinds of things, and listen to the responsible people. At some point, these guys are going to be tried, and I'm almost absolutely certain they will be you know, brought to justice um, the way they should be. You know, yeah. The evidence will be adduced, the justice system will work. But in the meantime, untold damage is going to be done, because as I said a number of times on your show, Bob, and I said it on Tucker, what we will have, you, you can mark, your, your, uh, mark my words on this, we are going to have a revisit of the Ferguson effect. That is, every time something oh, like no this question. happens, po- police 
policing withdraws, policing diminishes, enforcement diminishes, and we have spikes in crime, particularly in the black community, the very area where we're so concerned about these things. Yeah. And in, since the, the, Ferguson Brown effect, incident, the Ferguson effect, of course, never died, really. I wouldn't say there's a repeat of no. it. It will be a continuation and maybe an expansion of it. Pete, if Joy Reid was the shot, here's the chaser. But how many times do we have to, do we need to see white people also get beaten before anybody will do anything? I'm not suggesting that. So don't write us and tell me what a, you know, what a racist I am. Whoopi says white people aren't beaten by the cops. We have to see white people being beaten to death by the cops before we'll do anything. So that's that's the chaser on the race baiting from the from the American left. A quick thought yeah, on that you know, the, a break. The, the, uh, well, the quick thought is these people stay with comedy, you know, because that's what your brain is good for. And no more than that. Any kind of deep thoughts should be reserved for somebody who's got more more of an IQ than she does. But but just as importantly as getting the facts straight. The facts have been so distorted by these race baiters. I mean, just completely upended. The fact of the matter is blacks are less likely to encounter police brutality. I know this goes against every meme you've ever heard of, okay? But the facts are the facts. Police, and it makes sense when you think about it, because you look at what happens to, to any cop that is involved in an incident like this, and their lives are completely ruined forever and ever. Amen. In, in, for example... Black cops are 3.3 times, not not 3%, but 330% more likely to shoot a black suspect than a white cop because white cops are petrified of pulling their service weapon when confronted with a black uh, offender. Potential you, know offender. Who proved, you know who proved those statistics and who found that? A black professor at Harvard who aimed, who set out to prove the opposite. To prove yeah, and he lost his job as a result. That's exactly right. So that's a, that's an important part of that story as well. Let's take a time out here. It's ten twenty-five. We got more with Kirsten all coming up on Always Right Radio and fourteen twenty. The answer. Okay, short one here, just about a minute and a half uh, before the bottom of the hour. We've got more Kersenow coming up after that as well. So, Peter Kersenow, what we're going to dive into next is the Pfizer story. And that is the uh, latest from Project Veritas. Simply remarkable. Project Veritas went to work on a senior Pfizer researcher who explained that, you know that stuff they did in the Wuhan lab, that gain-of-function stuff? We're doing it, too. And what we're going to do is we're going to inject monkeys, or infect monkeys, rather, with the COVID virus mutation that we create, and then let them pass it to one another. We will track what it looks like, and then we'll come up with the antidote, and we will uh, we will continue to cash in from our, from our cash cow. Peter, uh, your first blush reaction before we dig into the details after the news. Yeah, it's uh, extraordinary. I saw the initial report on Tucker with the undercover video, and what's, what's striking, to, there's several things striking to me, and maybe not in order of importance, but the thing that really jumped out at me immediately is almost, I mean, thereafter was, nobody is reporting about this. This is one of the biggest stories me we've too. had in, I don't know how, how long. It really amazed me. Nobody is following up. A lot of things that the media will not follow up on, the Hunter Biden laptop, you name it, okay? Uh, and Oh, I, I know this is going a little bit outside of the subject matter, but oh, the overall arch of where the media is, it almost, it, there was a, there's something. No, let's not do that now. To, let's not do that now. We don't have time for all of that. Let's go outside the subject matter after the news, Peter Kersenow, but inside the subject matter, let's stay with what you just said, too. When we come back, we're going to talk about why no one in the media, print or broadcast media, bothered to cover this massive expose on Pfizer. More with Pete after the news.
Fight Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1036 now. We do continue with Peter Kersenow. We're talking about the Pfizer story that nobody else wanted to talk about. Nobody except for, I think, Tucker Carlson, Steve Bannon, Tom Zawistowski, and Bob France. I, that, to my knowledge, and I looked all over the Internet for coverage of this after it broke, the Project Veritas story. Uh, Charlie Kirk covered it. Charlie Kirk had uh, uh, had uh, James O'Keefe on. He's got access to him that I do not have. But uh, but I want to I share this little clip here, Pete. Uh, it, it's hard without the subtitles to hear everything that is said by Jordan uh, Walker, Jordan Tristan Walker. Uh, the Pfizer executive here, um, because he's off mic, obviously it's a hidden camera and a hidden microphone, but I'll read it if I need to so that people can uh, understand exactly what is said here, and then I want to get your response to this. So this is, again, this is Project Veritas, hidden, uh, or excuse me, undercover reporter talking to a Pfizer executive about their planned gain-of-function research. Listen. One of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate ourselves so we can develop new vaccines, right? If you didn't hear it, one of the things we're working on is why didn't we just um, why don't we just mutate it ourselves and then we can work preemptively developing new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating viruses. Yeah. So if you didn't hear that part, he said there's a risk, of course, because nobody wants to have a pharmaceutical company effing mutating viruses, of course, as he laughs. The journalist says, yeah, okay. Do we want to do this? (laughs) So that's like one of the things we're considering. Okay. Like the future, like maybe we can create new versions of the vaccines and things like that. He said in the future we can create new versions of the vaccine, things like that. Okay, so Pfizer ultimately is thinking about mutating COVID? Well, that is not what we say to the public. No. That is not what we say to the public. No. But we are doing what we call directed evolution. Peter Kersenow, that sounds like uh, doublespeak to me. Uh, Directed evolution and gain-of-function research. What's the difference? They literally specifically say we're going to infect animals, watch them infect one another, chart how the mutations change or how the virus that we're giving them mutates from animal to animal. Thus, we would be the only ones who know how to provide the antidote to it in the form of a vaccine. Now, by the way, Pete, Pfizer made $81 billion last year in profit. If they were to do what they're talking about right now, replace the B with a TR. Right, we're talking trillions of dollars. They would be the only patent holder to have the uh, vi- the uh, vaccine slash antidote to kill or stop or prevent the mutation that they themselves created. This is so damning, Pete, and nobody covered it. Go ahead. That's the thing. Nobody covered it. But I don't know. I I saw it and I saw a tape of it and I saw the transcript. Uh, I'm not a biologist uh, to a lab, but that's precisely why it needs to be covered, because I'm not a biologist. What I heard sounded to my lay ears like gain of function. And I know there's been a, you know, a lot of wordplay with, with uh, Fauci about what is gain of function, but it sounds like they were trying to engineer a more enhanced virus for purposes of coming up with vaccines and also to prevent against any type of natural mutations against it. You know, all of that might be scientifically scientifically valid i don't know but it alarmed me when i heard it but again i've been around this earth for a long time and i get really suspicious when i see something that alarms me and others i've spoken to but there is complete and other media blackout about it uh they they didn't talk about it at all there was one article i saw that was written by someone in 
I think Forbes magazine or somewhere like that, where they try to say, ah, this is not a big deal. And that in and of itself is a big deal where, you know, the only coverage is, ah, don't worry about it. Are you kidding me? After three years of COVID, after millions of deaths and everything else, we're not supposed to be concerned about this. And also with respect to the controversy of, of related to was COVID man-made, most of us or many of us think that it escaped from a lab in Wuhan. All of the extant evidence seems to suggest that, but we're told, no, 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 don't worry about it. The excuses being made by people who should otherwise be protecting our interests are extraordinary and make us all suspicious, especially when we've seen media blackouts on other huge stories. I needn't go into the Hunter Biden laptop, but critical stories that change the outcome of uh, uh, and direction of the country. It's it, this is something that tells us, among other things. Let's uh, let's pull back from the actual subject matter, which is huge in and of itself, that is manipulation of the COVID virus, okay? Let's say that this guy was, even though he's the director of research and development, okay, maybe he's on a date and he's bloviating. All of us have done something like that. You know, I was a Heisman Trophy winner on some dates, but nonetheless... Um, you know, this is something that if you hear it, the media should be on this right away. One of the biggest stories of the last several years, if not decades. Well, before, you go, to, before you go to the media coverage, Pete, and, and maybe it's bloviation, his reaction to finding out <clears throat> that he was being recorded and that this was yes. uh, this was an expose might indicate that, oh, my gosh, you know, if you're just bloviating, right. you're probably going, hey, man, I was just making that stuff up. I was trying to sound important, trying to impress this date. But instead, he violently attacked the crew, smashed the uh, the iPad that showed him saying the things he said, thinking like, well, we're not recording this, and we don't have already have this uploaded to the cloud. But he tried to smash evidence there, which indicates to me this is more than just somebody talking out his rear end. Right. He freaked out completely, and that's why the explanation, the one explanation I saw, the only coverage I saw was somebody saying, yeah, not a big deal. Well, the guys who's in charge thought it was a good, a really big deal based on his reaction. Those are the kind of things you put into evidence at a trial to show what somebody's state of mind was. Clearly, he thought he was revealing that he let something out of the bag, and now he finds out the whole world knows that this is the case and that he's the one who did it, and he freaks out completely. If this was, as you said, if this was a big joke, if he's just trying to impress somebody, he wouldn't freak out like they'd go, oh, man, I can't believe you, you, know, you did this. You know, what the heck is going on? But no, this guy goes completely bonkers, as you would expect if someone had released information that wasn't supposed to be released. Regardless of the reason, the information that we have is something that would cause any credible media organization to pursue it rapidly. But all we get are crickets. And it goes to the larger picture that I was trying to get to is we're hearing crickets from the media on the biggest stories of the day. Twitter, for example. Elon Musk revealing that Twitter was almost nothing but a CIA operation. It was just really incredible to try to affect the outcome of the election. Extraordinary resources devoted toward that. People getting canceled and deplatformed. And then we hear about the Hunter Biden laptop, which is completely valid. And we know that uh, polls have shown 16 to 70 percent of Biden voters would not have voted for him had they known about the laptop, which means Donald Trump would be president today. These are extraordinary things that are going on, and yet the media is silent. They're complicit, and we've seen that FBI, the Central Intelligence Agency, and other huge security apparatus have been deeply embedded, not just in Twitter, but in other media organizations, and you have to ask yourself, to what extent are we getting valid news anymore? It's a legitimate question. It's not a conspiracy tin hat theory. Uh, type type of thing that, you know, maybe 15 years ago I would have said, ah, come on. 
But the evidence now is accumulated to the point of being overwhelming, and you would have to be foolish not to ask yourself these questions. Things are going wrong. Things are getting worse and worse. And no one seems to be at the government, governmental level doing anything about it. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Just why? It's not a conspiracy theory. It's not tinfoil hat. Why are we sending, for example, billions? I'm getting off topic, but why are we sending billions to Ukraine, for example, to secure their borders, tanks and everything else, but we won't spend a dime on our own border? There's all kinds of weird things that have been going on in the last several years. No one is providing an uh, explanation, and the media is completely silent about this. Things that they would be all over during the course of my lifetime. Your listeners many of whom I know and, and love, they're great people, they have been around long enough. They have seen the progression of the media. They've seen how the media has covered certain stories. Like you, go, you don't have to go all the way back to Watergate. You don't have to do that. You can go back just even five, six, seven years ago. Look at just how they covered Trump, every little thing about Trump. Yet on major issues of the day, nothing, nothing whatsoever. And I can't help but get suspicious about that. No, uh, Pete, Pete, we sat, <clears throat> speaking of suspicions, we sat on this very program on these airwaves when it, when this all, the next day after Tucker did his expose, and which of course is right after Pfizer, or excuse me, Project Veritas released this. And I had listeners and I had my staff all going through every news page that they could find, literally going to the CBS News, ABC News, NBC News, CNN, Fox News, Newsmax, all of them, The Blaze, and just doing the control F function, which is find the word on this page anywhere. Control F Pfizer or control F Project Veritas. Nothing, 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 nothing. And I mean nothing. Not way down at the bottom of the page, not as a little footnote on anywhere, including on Fox, Pete. Even yeah, though Tucker right. had covered it on his program, no one on the next, uh, the morning show would do it. Nobody in the newscast would do it. Nobody. And to my, the reason I'm bringing it up and it's so important to me, <clears throat> Is you just listed a whole bunch of things that there have been kind of, you know, media blackouts of or media silence of. None of those things, and I don't care if it's the border, I don't care if it's the war in Ukraine, I don't, none of them were as big of a national story as COVID and the COVID vaccines. It literally was worldwide. The world changed three years ago in March. Because that's when the first lockdown started. Three years ago, next month, or in about a month, um, the world changed. Everything changed because of COVID. And this is a major, major revelation that one of the three biggest companies providing the mRNA vaccines that were supposed to treat COVID is caught saying, we're mutating it, and we're go- or we're going to mutate it, and we're going to create new vaccines for it and get out in front of it, because this is a huge cash cow for us. And how on earth, Peter Kersenow, can anybody, including Fox, not give it coverage. There's something far deeper going on here than just, hey, this is one of a number of big-time news stories that there's silence on. Yeah, the burden of proof is on media organizations to prove why it is they didn't cover. Tucker's the number one cable news show in in America. Mm -hmm. Millions of people watch it every single night. And these aren't your ordinary uh, viewers either. These are highly educated, rational, smart people. Okay, maybe not highly educated, but they're smart, smart people. And so all these Americans heard about it. And then by extension, their friends and relatives may have heard about it because I talked to people about it. And yet the media is completely silent about it. You would think there would be some reaction, at least, for example, where's the reaction? Typically, think about, for example, um, when uh, there would be something back before the Elon Musk days on Twitter. They would come out and try to debunk something that maybe 15 people saw. Okay, but here where 15 million people may be aware of the story, nothing whatsoever. They want media. And the reason, I think, is because this is such 
this is a story that is difficult to debunk because I say once again, this was the guy in charge. This is the guy in charge of direct in charge of research and development at Pfizer. I don't know if he was bloviating. I don't know if this stuff is true, but he said this stuff, and then it gets repeated nationally to millions of people. You would think under ordinary circumstances there would be a response. The public relations department at Pfizer would come out immediately and debunk it unequivocally, but they didn't. They they debunked all kinds of other stuff. They deplatformed the smallest people in the world from Twitter for saying things about Invermectin or, or anything else, okay, immediately. But something that is 50,000 times bigger and more consequential, complete silence. So it, it begs the question, I just want to know why. Why are you guys silent about this? I'd like to know the answers to these things. Is Tucker telling us a bunch of lies? Is your research and development director a complete, um, is he insane? Uh, because, among other things, even if you're on a date, and you're, like I said, back in the day, I may have been a Heisman Trophy winner or something, a Nobel Prize winner on a date. But that was something that um, it, it's not the same as being employed as the head of director, the, the research and development for the biggest pharmaceutical company in the world saying these things about the most consequential thing of the last 10, 20 years. That's a pretty big thing and nothing. Peter Kirsten out, <clears throat> laying it all out for us. Yeah, it is, um, it, it's a remarkable thing. Um, what we are facing right now, and by the way, I don't know if you saw this. It's kind of interesting. Just yesterday, Tedros, the head of the World Health Organization, uh, declared that there is still a worldwide emergency, health emergency. At the same time, Joe Biden is saying we are ending COVID emergency status on May 11th. Now, how he's determining that, I don't know. Apparently, what that means is uh, tests are no longer going to be free, COVID tests, uh, shots are no longer going to be be free you don't have to pay for those lord only knows if people are going to be willing to pay for the poison but the point is um this is still ongoing according to the world health organization we'll see where it goes after may 11th with uh, the united states and biden's orders but uh, this is not over, and at least in terms of the politics of it, not necessarily the threat of it, the politics of it, and the fact that the media is disinterested is dangerous. is more dangerous than anything, I think, even involving the virus itself. Peter Kersenow, we'll let you loose there. I know you've got a Fox hit to do. What program are you going to be on? Uh, Varney. Stuart Varney. Love it. Good stuff. Uh, say hello to him for us. And uh, Peter Kersenow, thanks so much for the time, as always. Take care, Bob. Thanks, Pete. Kersenow's got to go to Varney on Fox. Ask Varney why they're not covering it. Ask Varney why only Tucker Carl. Tucker must have a very powerful clause in his contract that says, I don't have to follow the rules you put on other, the other reporters and shows. I can talk about what I want. Because nobody else is doing it. Nobody else is covering it, even on FoxNews.com. Just Tucker on the Pfizer story, the huge, big pharma story with their all-powerful uh, ability to silence these stories. 1051, we've got time for some phone calls before the top of the hour. If you make them now, 216-901-0945. Join us on Always Right Radio. Okay, 1055 now, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Great stuff from Peter Kirsten. Now, great conversation in the first hour with Josh Williams, who is a freshman state representative, the first black Republican in the Ohio State House in 50 years, if I heard that correctly. Um, He's fighting. He's a part of the 45. He's a part of the conservative movement. He is trying to hold accountable the 22 in the gang of 22 that has decided to become Democrats uh, in complete uh, uh, defiance of the conservative majority, super majorities that uh, 
the voters gave them. Uh, so I really appreciate that. If you missed those interviews, either one of them, check them out on the webpage, the uh, podcast page at whkradio.com. About an hour after the show, about 1 o'clock or so, they'll be available at whkradio.com. For now, let's go to uh, Tanya, who's uh, in Akron on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Tanya. It's been a little while. Good hey, to have you Bob, back. What's how are up? you? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I, I saw the uh, video. I didn't watch the whole video because I didn't need to get that in my spirit. But mm-hmm. my daughter and I talked about it. And um, my position was, their position was, was horrific, but they wanted to go down another path. And I'm like, let's stay on the right path. The path is, this was sinful acts of men who are out of control, period. And by the time we got to that, Jason Whitlock had said something about baby's mama and all of that, and that just, being young black women, they were all upset about the baby mama drama. I said, let's pull all of that back. Let's just stay to the facts. And last night I was watching Jason Whitlock, and one of the pastors on there had to put him in check. He had a platform on Tucker where he could have just called. He said, well, I'm a journalist, but I had to call everything out. The whole thing is that he had a platform like the Christian, they got released from uh, with the abortion. He could have stayed on message. This was a sinful act, and none of the things that we're doing is going to change it until we get people who acknowledge that Man's humanity to man from birth to death is wrong. Tanya, give me and, a little context, if you can, because I, I like Jason Whitlock. I did not hear the baby mama drama stuff you're talking about. Can you give me a very quick okay. summary of what he said? Uh, well, he basically said because, you know, all of this is young black men being raised by single women, mm-hmm. okay, they're out of control because they don't have, because of fatherlessness. Right. And then he mentioned that young men in this area out of control in this community and cops that have now have all of this pedestrian going on and their captain or the head of the police department in Memphis is a black female. Okay. So, I didn't hear yeah, that. I didn't I didn't hear any of that. Um I, I mean I, I like Jason. I follow him on Twitter, but I don't follow every single thing, so I'm gonna look into it a little bit. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna agree with you based on what you're saying though. And and there there is certainly, by the way, some merit to what he's saying about uh single single parenthood, uh about how uh young not just black kids, but young kids period who grow up without their fathers go grow up to be in a whole lot of trouble in a whole lot of ways. Uh, he's right about that, but this is not the time for that conversation because this isn't about that. This is about five out-of-control police officers who beat a man to death and who had absolutely no defense in doing so. The rest of what Jason is talking about might be true, but this is a wrong neighborhood for that conversation. Uh, thank you, Tanya, for the call. It's uh, 11 o'clock. We're going to get our news now. We're going to come back. We're going to find out what the Strongsville Republican Party did last night to State Representative Tom Patton, who refused to show up for the event. Shannon Burns will join us on AM 1420 News. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. 
you and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, hour number three is underway at nine minutes past 11 o'clock on this 31st and final morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2023. February is a coming home by. One of the worst months of the calendar year. Footballers are going to be all the way over. Weather in February is usually worse than January. Brutal. Cannot stand it. Even if it doesn't get crazy snowy, it's going to be slushy and crappy. Uh, it is just a miserable, miserable month. But it's going to be, you know, it's what we're going to endure. It's what we're going to endure. Somebody just, I brought it up because somebody on uh, Twitter that I noticed during one of the breaks said, what is the worst month of the year? Help me settle a uh, settle debate. I picked June, personally. Uh, but somebody else was making, a, or a lot of people making very strong arguments for February due to the weather, due to the fact that it's kind of a dead zone in terms of sports. You know, the, yeah, the NBA is playing out the regular season string, but baseball's not there. College, college basketball, you do get into March Madness, uh, you know, in the conference tournaments toward the end of February. There's just not a lot going on. Uh, we're going to make it happen, though, here on AM 1420, The Answer. That I promise you. Now, it's still January, but there was some news made last night in Strongsville. The Strongsville Republican Party, Strongsville GOP, got together and had themselves a little vote. They were voting on whether or not they should censure State Representative Tom Patton, who, sadly and shockingly to a lot of people, is among the gang of 22, who decided to give all kinds of power to a weak, powerless Democrat party. The super minority of Democrats, 32 Democrats in the uh, Ohio State House, had no authority to do anything to stop legislation that conservatives wanted, to pass legislation that progressives wanted. They had no power at all. The supermajority of Republicans in the House were given a mandate by the people to pass uh, what's uh, constitutional and what's right for our schools, for people, for our voters, and beyond. And instead of uh, taking advantage of what they were given, they turned around, and 22 of them, including Representative Patton, handed power to Allison Rousseau and the Democrats. So that didn't sit well with the Strongsville GOP, and that's why they called for that vote last night. Joining us now to tell us how it went and why it went is the leader and the president of the Strongsville GOP, Shannon Burns. Shannon's also, of course, a member of the Ohio State Central Committee, Republican Party State Central Committee. Shannon, good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me again, Bob. You got it. So I just kind of gave the backdrop there of why there was a meeting last night. Um, why don't you give us the details and also 
You've already told me, maybe we can speculate a little bit about how and why, despite all of this going on right now, Representative Patton refused to even show up to defend himself and his vote and his current actions, uh, maybe in defiance of the Republicans who put him in his position. Shannon? Yep. Well, yeah, just as a backstory, I know we've talked about this before in the past, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, starting in December, Representative Patton represented to myself, to other leaders in the uh, in Strongsville GOP and the members, that he was, in fact, no way going to be voting for Stevens. I uh, was backing Derek Marin. I uh, did that in writing, uh, even, uh, along with multiple phone calls. And then proceeded to... Um, just go and vote for Stevens, uh, which it looks clearly he was he was with that along all the way along. I think that Jack Windsor reported it first early on your program mm-hmm. that he was, and uh, you know, quite frankly, I didn't believe him because you know I trusted Tom. I've I've known him for twenty years, and all we know, always have known him to be a, a, a man of integrity, and, and clearly that was not the case. He clearly had self interest that that outweighed his integrity in this case. So. Uh, we sent a letter out to uh, Representative Patton. The board uh, did on the 18th of January, uh, asking, uh, letting him know our displeasure with this uh, this terrible vote to side with the Democrats and give them power in a state where they have none, um, and uh, asked him to respond. Uh, he did not respond uh, to the uh, uh, to the board or to the members. Uh, so we then called a special meeting. Um, it, which first, I, I, I got to tell you, Bob. I mean, we gave him an opportunity just to use his entire, um, you know, our email list, which is substantial, you know, to make his case, and he chose not to. Um, so we called a special meeting uh, for last night, had oh, nearly 125 members uh, and supporters in the room, deliberated for almost a couple hours. Uh, people sharing their personal information. It looked like there was. You know, a handful of uh, patent supporters in the room as well. Uh, first off, we're all, we were all supporters, but the supporters of his action, I should say. Um, and uh, the decision was made by the members by overwhelming majority. I think that there was maybe three or four people in the room that, that voted no on, on the censure, uh, by my uh, calculation. Um, this censure is one that uh, publicly censures Representative Patton for making this terrible mistake decision. It also prohibits uh, the Strongsville GOP from endorsing or providing any financial or in-kind assistance as an elected official or as a candidate for the period of two years. Uh, so not only did we censure him, but we also, you know, hit it where it hurts and making certain that uh, Republican candidates know that they need to act within our interests, not within their own personal interests. Um, and I'll tell you, somebody in the, in the meeting last night said it, it perfectly. This would never happen on the Democrat side. That would never happen. Where they they go deal do a deal with the Republicans and, and give us more power would never happen. No, of course not. <clears throat> Shannon Burns is my guest, president of the Strongsville GOP. So, two quick follow ups to what you just said. One of them, you said uh, he put his self serving interests over his integrity. <laughs> What are his interests? Why do you think he lied to you? Why do you think he lied to everybody saying, nope, he's going to support Derek Marin, he's part of the caucus, this is what he's going to do, blah, blah, blah. Any idea, any of the supporters that you've spoken with of his, give you an idea of why he is doing this, why he's killing his long-established reputation as being a trustworthy supporter and friend of uh, conservatism and of Republicans and of, of the Ohio Constitution, and, and it's a 
big, big move for a guy who had a lot of respect and still does, I'm sure, in you know, in 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 other ways. But what are his self-serving interests here that would lead him to sell out his own integrity and, and quite frankly, his constituents? Yeah. So, so first off, I have to say he hasn't, you know, been willing to come out and talk about it publicly. You know, he's gone and had personally, he's, he's uh, gone on diatribes with with members of ours in public and in, in locations where he's run into people, but he's not willing to come out publicly defend his topic. I think that's the first indicator of uh, of where he stands with this. Um, I, I will tell you, Bob. You know, I have my opinion. I'm happy to share with you. But let me just share some of the messages I've heard back from members uh, as, as Tom has been out trying to make his case to people. Uh, first, it was, I'm not voting for Stevens. Then, in writing to me, he put, Bob, that Derek Marin was bad for me. He was going to go after right-to-work and prevailing wage bills. That was within a half hour or so of the vote. That was his unscripted no time to try to figure out what his story was going to be response. I truly believe that was, you know, that the unions put the screws to him. And, and by the way, you know, we had a conversation last night about that. We all know that Donald Trump has brought our great American workers, union workers, to recognize that the Republican Party is the way forward, is the way to prosperity for the workers of America. That doesn't mean that policies that the, that the leadership are opposed to are, are somehow, you know, and, and somehow Republicans are, are, in, are in fa- some are in favor of, are, are a slight on a working man. That's not the case, clearly. Uh, so for him to try to make this about policy, I think, was not accurate either. Uh, yes, I think that's probably what, what was ultimately his self-interest. The money he raises from unions was probably the, the biggest piece. But I think really what it comes down to, Bob, you know, he got chairmanship of the Transportation Committee, I think this was a power thing for all 22 of these guys. You know, they, they felt like they had lost out in the power play that they, they had pushed so hard for, and they found another way to get their power. And that was through they didn't doing think a they had a the chance. A, a, guy like, a guy like Tom Patton didn't have a chance of getting a, a plum committee chairmanship from Derek Marin? There was no chance of that? Is that what, what, what I'm hearing? I, I don't think that that's accurate, but I think that – uh, that was probably um, going through their hot minds. But once again, we don't know because we gave him an opportunity to come out and talk and defend himself last night. And yeah. I'll tell you, I, I did something that was a little bit unorthodox. He didn't come and show his face um, in the room, which is just, you know, that's just a cowardly thing to do. But he was texting people in the room. Uh, people would say, hey, they're saying this about you, and he would respond. And I actually let those people share his responses. Um, of, you know, his whole thing was, it's all about the householder trial, right? It's, you're going to see. It's all about the householder trial. Well, I'll tell you what, what was the final straw was that he can say whatever he wants. Like I said, there's been five different stories I've heard. He told one of our members it was about abortion, that Derek Marin was going to push for uh, strict anti-abortion laws, and he, couldn't, you know, wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to be fed in that, you know, that kind of thing. All of these topics are just fake. They're fake news. It's him trying to come up with a story to justify why he stabbed the party in the back and chose his self-interest over the party. And in this case here, um, you know, quite frankly, he's trying to say it's all about the householder trial. Just wait two weeks. Just wait until this trial's over. You're going to see. I held up my phone and I said, hey, you can come up and look at this. The text message from Tom Patton, when I asked him, don't do this. 
we're counting on you to keep your word. Don't do this. And he responded back, Derek Marin, bad for me. He was going to push right to work. Wow. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't about householder. It wasn't about what was the date else. of that? Was what was the date of that, Shannon? Was that, I mean, Jan- how close to January 3rd? January 3rd. Oh, it was on January 3rd? That, that was oh, on wow. January 3rd. Okay, yeah. it, was, okay. it was a half hour after the vote. Okay. I, I want to go uh, yep. back to what your first statement was, too, and you said there were some supporters of his there. Uh, what were they saying in opposition to this? Um, and, and you can speak to that in terms of what he was texting them uh, uh, you know, or yep. not. But what were their arguments to say, no, we should not censure him, and no, we support what he did? What, what were you hearing from them? Yeah, I actually, you know, what's interesting is I didn't hear a lot of people support what he did, right? I think there was maybe one individual that, that stood up and said, you know, we, you know we, we need to be able to think for ourselves. So I think that was probably the closest that anyone said that they supported what he did. Um, and I think that was in reference to, you know, you don't have to do what the party says. You have to do what you believe. Well, you know, that, that sounds great. But he went, and, he went and did deal with the teacher union. He did deal with, you know, it, those, those are clearly not things he believes in, even if he's, uh, we have questions about him. I don't question his his loyalty to at least basic conservative principles. Um, and in what he was texting, most everything he was texting to individuals, uh, and obviously I paraphrase because I, I wasn't seeing it myself, but it was all about householder. And essentially, you know, it says, we, I just wanted more time. We should, I'm not there because, you know, we want, I had to wait till this is over. And, and one of the supporters got up and said and shared that, that story as well. Uh, and once again, you know, I said that even if, for some reason, the other side, the, the you know the, the side that was screwed over, had some you know affiliation. Even if there was a uh, illegal affiliation, which obviously accusations of that, and that's not the case. That wasn't the reason they did this, right? You can you can you can do revisionist history all you want afterwards and say, well, oh, it was this reason. Oh, it was this. No, no, it was your self-interest. You wanted the power. You didn't get it, so you went and did a deal with the Democrats so you could get your power. And that's plain and simple. Right? And, and no one, actually not one of his supporters stood up and said it was okay, it was a good thing to do a deal with the Democrats. That, that's one thing I have to say. Not one person stood up and said that. They, you know, there's but, they also didn't stand up and, but they also didn't stand up and condemn it. Right? Well, that's right. That's right. And, you know, I, I think that almost everyone that stood up, I respect those folks, because almost all of them stood up and said, Tom's been a friend of mine for 20 years. Tom's my neighbor, right? You know, th- those are our are, are strong personal bonds, and we get that, right? This isn't, this isn't some, you know, U.S. senator that n- you see once a year uh, and, and you get really upset at a vote they made, right? This is literally somebody that lives down the street from you that you've seen at chamber events and at, at homecoming for the last 20 years. Um, and I, I understand that, but, it, you know, no matter how much it pains me and how sad it was, that, that we had to take this route. I mean, there are principles that you have to stand for, and you can't allow your principles to be broken based on personal friendships. Especially, especially if you are an elected official who counted on the votes of the very constituents that you are ignoring right now. Uh, let me ask, you know, what I would like to ask Tom Patton, and if he'll ever come on this program, I will, and I would like anybody who can get an earshot of him to ask him is, do you think you would have been elected to the State House or reelected to the State House if you told your constituents you planned to partner with the Democrats in order to get a plum committee assignment, you were going to surrender the supermajority of the Republican caucus? And 
and partner with the Democrats, uh, carving out a faction of that Republican caucus to give you more power. Do you think you will, your, your, your neighbors and your friends for 20 years would have voted for you if you said, I'm going to partner with Democrats? Because the answer is going to be no. Then there's no way they would have voted for him, and I want him to justify these actions on that, you know, with that backdrop, knowing that he is literally turning his back on constituents who thought they were voting for Tom Patton, the Republican, Tom Patton, the conservative, Tom Patton, the man of integrity and morals, whose word is his bond, who says, yes, I took an oath to support whoever wins the caucus. That person was Derek Maron, and then just threw it all away. I want him to answer to those people, and I want him to answer those questions. I think he answered that question, Bob. He answered that question when talking to the Strongsville GOP, which is the largest uh, grassroots GOP organization in the state that happens to be based in his hometown, right, that, that has members, hundreds of members throughout the district. Um, he chose not to tell us about it because he didn't want Republicans to know what he was going to do. And he answered that question, that his decision was to keep this from us because he knew that we wouldn't support him if he did it. If he thought we were going to support him, he would have just told us. Yeah, you're, you're, that's a very good point. That's a very, very good point. Shannon, I've got another question for you about a different issue uh, involving the uh, uh, CCRP. I want to talk about what happened with uh, Lee Weingart's push to uh, take over the chairmanship. We talked to two weeks ago both Lee Weingart and the current uh, chair of the uh, party in Cuyahoga County, Lisa Sticken. But I need a hard break here. i got to get a newscast. Can you stick after the news and tell us what happened on that? Yeah, sure. That'd be fine. All right. Good. Shannon Burns will stick with us on this. We're talking about what happened to Tom Patton and what Tom Patton is bringing upon himself, quite frankly. Uh, but now we're going to talk about the uh, push for a new leader of the Cuyahoga County Republican Party. Uh, there was a big meeting. Well, it was a small meeting, which was the problem for Lee Weingart. It wasn't big enough. Uh, and I'll let Shannon explain what that means coming up on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. Okay, it's uh, 1136. We continue now with Shannon Burns. I would call you Mr. Burns, but I wouldn't be able to get the Simpsons out of my head if I do that. Um, Shannon, uh, just like there was a coup of sorts, well, it's not of sorts, it really was, to uh, steal the gavel from Speaker-elect Derek Maron in Columbus, there was an attempted coup of sorts. Um, at the uh, helm of the uh, Cuyahoga County Republican Party. Lisa Sticken has been leading. Uh, Lee Weingart, former candidate for county executive, whom I supported in that race very, very strongly, uh, wanted to take the uh, reins of the CCRP from Lisa. And uh, he called for a special meeting. And uh, I'm going to ask you to tell us how that went, because this is a big deal. Uh, he needed a certain number of people to be there. He needed a big meeting, and he didn't get a big meeting. He got a small meeting, and since there was a small meeting, there was nothing done. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, sure. So uh, Lee Weingard, uh, like you said, it sort of attempted this coup against our chair, Lisa Sticken. Um, it made a case to a lot of members, went personally, went door-to-door, phone calls, et cetera, and uh, yeah, I think it's pretty clear that he was he was shut down on his message. Um, I think there's a significant amount of support for Lisa out there, and, and that will continue. Um, you know, he, Lee had called uh, through a process in the bylaws of uh, a member-driven call for a meeting um, for this past Saturday, and he needed to have 75 members of the approximately 400 members of the Central Committee 
to show up and uh, attend this meeting in order for it to be considered a legal meeting. And he was not able to achieve that. Um, I was there. I was there just in the case that uh, there was a quorum uh, so we could have some talk some sense with folks. Uh, so 53 people attended uh, in total from my count and from the count they announced. Um, and, and clearly that wasn't enough. Uh, so he was not able to conduct a meeting. You know, in, in talking with people there, Bob, uh, I think there's a lot of genuine concern about the future of the party. We all have that concern. I mean, heck, Strongsville GOP does everything we can to do the right thing. And we still get people saying, I'm, I'm done with the party. I'm done with the Republican Party. And I, we all get that. We understand it. I mean, obviously, I don't think that represents what we're doing. And, and I don't think that represents what Lisa's doing at the uh, county party as well. Uh, but it, nonetheless, there was people that uh, had genuine uh, concerns there. Uh, and they, they did have a chance to, uh, to talk through it and, and voice those concerns, but there was no actual business conducted. Um, so now we go on to the real meeting uh, this Thursday uh, where, you know, the county party is going to meet to, we have to uh, appoint our member of the Board of Elections. Uh, that's the purpose of the meeting. And I think that these discussions will carry on to Thursday as well. And uh, clearly Lisa has the overwhelming support of the committee and as she should. Yeah, and um, when I had Leon, and I don't know if I've talked to you about this after that or not, I had Leon. It was, you know, I like Lee. Uh, I, 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 that's why I supported him in the in the race against the Democrat, Ronane, for the uh, uh, county executive position. But in this race, or what he wanted to create was a race, um, it was Republican against Republican. And I pointed out, as many, many, many Lisa Sticken supporters did, that, you know, uh, it's a tough place for Lee to run, considering his significant contributions and historic. It's not just a one-time thing, but multiple contributions to a whole lot of Democrats that a whole lot of Calgary County Republicans do not like or support, not the least of which uh, are Tim Ryan and Marcy Kaptur and Sherrod Brown. And uh, one of them is Anthony Gonzalez, who is a Republican, but we know how that went. Uh, um, you know, so so Lee had a little bit of a battle here. He was trying to say, let me lead the Republican Party. But by the way, I give support financially to Democrats. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. You know, I supported him for county executive for the same reason you did. Uh, I think he was uh, much more talented than this socialist uh, Chris Renane that we have there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that would have been a better choice. But, you know, the threshold for leading the party is a different threshold than uh, being an elected official representing uh, the interest of voters. Uh, there, there's a loyalty piece to it. There is a, uh, I don't know which other way to say it, but uh, some sort of a, like I said, a loyalty test is probably what I said before. And I don't think that he met those criteria. I think that people saw through that and, and recognized that while they may have had some concerns about the, the party, that, that that wasn't the right path forward. Um, and, and clearly Lisa has put together a great team. I mean, I mean just look, she brought in uh, Mike Gibbons for to be the finance chair of the party, uh, which is clearly you know one of the, the areas that the party has uh, needs some improvement on, and, and clearly Mike will do a great job. In it. And I was great to hear the report you had earlier that said Mike is going to put his money where his mouth is as well, and and take on these uh, these twenty two you know turncoats. So uh, I think I see good things going forward for the county party in, in Cuyahoga County. Obviously, a lot of work needs to be done. We need to start winning races here. 
Yeah, no question about it. And and that's the one big thing is, you know, if if Lee had any uh, room to, to, to make a case, it was, hey, we underperformed in a lot of races. Uh, yeah, Ohio is winning big, but we underperformed. We lost a lot of races in the county, and there does need to be improvement there. And hopefully Lisa and her team and uh, with the support of people like Mike Gibbons can really make that happen. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, too. I talked to Josh Williams about it and uh, Mike Gibbons. And this say I, I didn't read it because I refused to pay the paywall of uh, Cleveland.com uh, or to get through the paywall. But Mike Gibbons bankrolled his U.S. Senate campaign as the headline. Now he's spending to punish Republicans who worked with Dems to choose Ohio's new House Speaker. So Mike is ready to go. And Mike, the one thing I will say, and it's one of the reasons I liked him so much in the primaries for his Senate run, Mike isn't about power. Mike is about helping do what's right for the country, for the people, and in this case, obviously, for the state of Ohio. Uh, and he's willing to spend and not just uh, talk, but he, he walks the walk and he'll, uh, he'll bankroll his own uh, his own word in this thing and i think that's huge i think it is and i think that you know, the fact that lisa brought him in as a core member of the team um shows you know what her commitment is is to the party her commitment is to conservative principles going forward i mean look thursday we're going we're going to bring together this uh, same topic you know we talked about earlier in the hour about uh, the censure of tom Patton. And it's clear with Lisa bringing in somebody like Mike Gibbons, who's clearly, I mean, he's not just on our side with this, but he's putting his money uh, yeah. on, on this topic, that, you know, it's clear that the leadership of the party is going to be supportive of this same topic. And we need to make certain that this Thursday, that as the members consider and, and determine whether they're going to show up or not to this meeting, which they need to, uh, that they come and, and voice their displeasure with Tom Patton there and make certain that uh, the, that the county party acts accordingly. Shannon Burns is the leader of the Strongsville GOP. Is also a member of the obviously Cuyahoga County Republican Party and the Ohio State Central Committee. Shannon, I appreciate you letting us know what happened with Tom Patton. I'm hopeful that he'll come out and speak sooner rather than later. Not through text messages to supporters in a meeting that he refused to attend. And try to get him on the radio because uh, uh, we need to find. Way- you know, it's one thing to point out all of the. Uh, uh, things that the gang of 22 have done. It's another thing to figure out where do we go from here? Can we find any way to work with them and get anything positive done for the conservatives who gave them the supermajority? Or is this going to be just uh, an entire legislative session of, of gridlock and of stonewalling because, uh, uh, because of the competing factions? So hopefully Tom Patton can shine some light on that to you guys or to the radio audience or somebody. But Shannon, I appreciate you bringing what you do to the table every day, uh, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Bob. Keep up the fight. Love it. You got it. Thank you. All right, that's Shannon Burns. That's going to do it for us. We had uh, three really, really good interviews, important ones. Josh Williams from the Estate House mess uh, in Columbus. Uh, we talked to Peter Kersenow about the mess in Memphis, uh, as well as uh, uh, in uh, uh, well in Washington, D.C., and, of course, Shannon Burns. So good stuff there. If you missed any of those interviews, check them out online at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. By the way, don't forget, download the new streaming service that I have a new television show on. It's called True Blue. Go to watchtrueblue.com and download and subscribe to that app. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.